Hello. My name's John Tyndall, and I had the joy and privilege of introducing the new pastor to the church in 1984. <laughs> I always find this microphone in the middle here really inconvenient. If it could be removed next time I preach, <laughs> it would be very helpful. One of the favorite games that is um, played in some families, particularly Melissa Tyndall's family, is spot the genetic connection. <laughs> and there's a, an example of it recently in the car park at Arbrook Court, where my wife and I live, when um, one of the residents met our grandson, James Tyndall. And she remarked that he looked very much like his nanny, Pauline. But when he said something cheeky with a twinkle in his eye, he looked like his granddad, John. That's what she said. And then one of my favorite uh, fo family photographs is, is of my mother's brother, Uncle Harold. He was, it's a photograph taken when he was 18 years of age. He just joined the Royal Navy at the very beginning of the Second World War. And he was about to be torpedoed twice on the high seas and picked up from the waters of the Atlantic and able to spend the next 40 years of his life in a psychiatric hospital with PTSD. But in this photograph, he's got his uniform on. He looks, he looks a bonny lad, dark wavy hair, and he's got splendid teeth. So the question became in the family, who's got Harold's teeth? Melissa is very intrigued by that. My daughter, um, who I can mention because she's not here, my daughter is very much like my mother uh, in her looks and in her habits, and it can be slightly unnerving, even the way she moves around the kitchen. is as if she's channeling Lily, Lily Malone. It's a, it's a great game, isn't it? And sometimes we call this the chip off the old block game. Well, Hebrews chapter 1, this passage that Annie read a few moments ago, is, uh, it's got connections with that. Because uh, God is revealing himself in this wonderful passage. I've got a few things to, to remark on it. The first one is, God reveals himself through his speaking. God reveals himself through his speaking. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors, verse 1. And I don't know much Greek, but the Greek sentence of verse 1 begins in a very nice way. Just the first three words are polymeros kai polytropos. Polymeros kai polytropos. It's the kind of name you could give to a pair of parakeets, isn't it? <laughs> it just begins, it launches in. This is the beginning of the book of Hebrews at, at many times and in different ways God spoke in multiple times and in multiple ways God spoke to our forefathers the God of the Bible reveals himself primarily by speaking the Greek word in the past God spoke is the normal word for speech human speaking he communicates through the language of the people to whom he's speaking. It might be Hebrew, it might be Aramaic, it might be Greek, the Greek of the, of the ordinary common man. 
There's nothing more frustrating than trying to communicate with someone who doesn't speak a word of your language uh, and vice versa. And you have to resort to hand gestures or if they're French, just to raising your voice a little bit. But it's, it's frustrating. One of the most frequently used phrases in the Bible is, and God said, the Lord spoke. In the beginning, God said, very first opening verse of the Bible, uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Uh, of course, God does reveal himself through what he does, what he's done, the heavens declare the glory of God, the stars and the galaxies speak of a God of power and skill and wisdom and imagination, um, but we need verbal explanation and expressions in our language in order to truly hear what God wants us to know about himself. In the past, God spoke. It's said that you can always tell the married couple in a restaurant because they're the ones not speaking to each other. But there over in the corner of the Red Rose is a young couple. They've only known each other for a few weeks and they're chatting away. They're discovering each other. Um, it's no good that young man sitting there for four hours just gazing at her golden locks and her beautiful painted fingernails and her shapely form. Um, he's got to ask questions and she's got to respond. And they're there chatting. They're discovering each other by speech and by listening. He, he can learn stuff about, about her, the way she is, the, the things she likes, the, the, way, the history of her family, and so on and so forth. They're sitting in the red rose on a mutual voyage of discovery, of revelation of each other. They're speaking. God reveals himself by speaking. Long ago, God spoke Secondly, God reveals himself through his spokespeople. God reveals himself through speaking, and he reveals himself through his spokespeople. Long ago, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. Through the prophets. The history of Israel could be described as the history of prophetic utterance. God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He spoke to Moses face to face in the in the confines of the tabernacle. He spoke to Jacob in a wrestling match by a river. He spoke to Abraham by personal visitation and through the cataclysmic events of a divided animals and, and a burning fiery furnace passing through them and then God speaks to Abraham. He spoke to Zechariah in eight nocturnal visions. He spoke to Samuel through a quiet whisper that kept him awake at night. He spoke to Belshazzar and a ghostly finger wrote on the plaster of the, of the wall in Babylon. He spoke to Balaam through a donkey. He spoke to others through angels. He spoke through dreams and visions of the night. He spoke at different times and in multiple ways through the, to our fathers, the prophets. There's nothing, nothing monotonous about the way God communicates the knowledge of himself. He's bursting with a passion to make himself known and he will use anyone and anything that he chooses in a variety of ways because he so, he so urgently wants us to know what he's like. God spoke in, the, in days gone by. He's not hiding. 
He's not playing cat and mouse. He's speaking through spokespersons. And so for an example of it, he's, he, he comes in, a, in human appearance and he, he walks a journey with, with a man called Abraham. And they come to the summit of a hill and they look down upon two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord is about to visit those two cities with judgment. Awful, cataclysmic, terrifying judgment. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I won't hide it from Abraham. I want to tell him what I'm about to do because he's the father of the nations. He's the example of faith. I'm going to bless him with a great name and a great nation and, and great seed. So he tells Abraham, he reveals himself to, hit, to, hit to Abraham. And of course, this is one of the reasons why we love the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the record in writing of what God said. It's a record in writing, inspired writing, of what God said through his spokespersons. All Scripture, said one of the great Jewish preachers, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So, God reveals himself through speaking. He reveals himself through his spokespersons. And thirdly, from Hebrews chapter 1, he reveals himself through his Son. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Phrase in, the, in these last days indicates that the, the prophetic age of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Micah and Zephaniah, that prophetic age is passing away. And a new and a final age is dawning when God will speak his final and complete word. And he's going to do it through the personality of a man. He's going to do it through the character of a human being. He's going to do it through the words and the actions and the achievements of a single human being. Here is the one the prophets were looking forward to. Here is the one that all the types and shadows of the Old Testament anticipated. He's come, and he is the full and final and complete expression of who God is. Now, the prophets, I, I watched uh, the other night my, my wife and her daughter-in-law um, enjoying a jigsaw puzzle together. I, I find no joy in jigsaw puzzles. Some people feel the challenge is inspiring and entertaining. I, I am not one of them. But the prophets had their hands, their fingers on little pieces of the prophetic jigsaw. Um, and th they had a little glimpse of the kingdom of God. But Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, is the heir of all things. He owns all that comes from and belongs to God the Father and his kingdom. He's the one through whom God made the universe. He's the one who brought, who brought the beginning into being and he's the one who will bring the end into being and bring about a new heavens and a new earth. He's the one who will inherit the finished kingdom as the heir. He's the Alpha and the Omega. 
I began reading at our church this morning, Emmanuel Epson began reading Isaiah chapter 35. I introduced it as plan omega. We've got plan A, we've got plan B. We may be teetering on the brink of plan C, but Jesus has plan omega. It's a description of a new heavens and a new earth, which will be the home of righteousness. So, the prophets had their hands on little pieces of the jigsaw, but the whole jigsaw, the complete picture, belongs to Jesus, who is the heir of all things. All that God is doing is through and belongs to Jesus. But how come this son is the final and complete word? Just got these little sub-points to finish with. How come this son is the full and final and complete word. Well, it's because he is, you see there, the magnificent radiance. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the magnificent radiance. When you walk out of your house in a morning, you'll be able to see a million things around you because Beams of light radiate from our nearest star. An infinite number of little particles, if they are particles, uh, an infinite number of little particles called photons flash across the 93 million miles that separates us from the sun. They make the journey in eight minutes. And these little photons, they bounce off everything that's around you. And the, the photons bounce off your car number plate. And they come and enter through your iris. And they strike your optic nerve. And an image goes down your optic nerve and creates a little image in your brain of what you can see on your front drive. It's, it's a miracle. Photons are absolutely miraculous. This room is full of photons. You can tell that I'm wearing a pink shirt. How do you know? Because photons are striking my shirt, shirt and they're crossing over each other as they flash around this room without actually disturbing one another. How can that be? So you can tell that I've got this pink shirt on because the photons are not being knocked off course by other photons. They, they are the radiance of light. It's an extraordinary thing. I think that's why God said in the beginning on the first day, let there be light. Without light, there is nothing else. So what you see in your mind is created by the radiance of the sun's glory. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. All that God is shines forth in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus said and all that Jesus was and all that Jesus did. You don't go looking for anywhere else to find God because there is only one who is the radiance of God's glory and that's this person of whom Hebrews 1 speaks. He's the magnificent radiance that's why he's the complete word. He's also the perfect representation. The perfect representation. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You all know the Greek word, it's character. Jesus is the character of God. And that, that, um, that Greek word is taken from another word that describes a tool used by someone to inscribe something on a piece of metal. It's the same thing that you do with a... You take a brass seal with the head of a lion on it and there is a, a little pool of molten wax on an envelope or something else or on a, a deed of transfer and you press the, the, the brass seal into the wax and what you leave on the wax is an exact representation of what was on the brass seal. You see it is exactly. And that's why... Jesus answered the question, Lord, show us the Father. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the exact representation of all that the Father is. That's why Jesus qualifies to be the last word. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Perfect representation. He's also... Am I amazingly the, the, the powerful sustainer? Jesus, it says here, sustained all things, sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus sustains all things by the power of his word. There are only two explanations for the universe. One is material. First is that the mother of all explosions, the mother of all explosions sent trillions of particles into random space which settled down over billions of years and through billions and trillions of accidents to form incredible and complex systems. It's the only time in the history of the universe that an explosion um, created order and information. The other explanation is that someone made it. An intelligent being created it intelligently and sustains it purposefully. And he is the incarnate word that explains God and his purposes. The Lord Jesus Christ is the, 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 the last and powerful and, and complete word from God because he is the powerful sustainer of everything. That little sparrow that will settle in your garden tomorrow is being sustained by in its, in its existence by a, by a word that flows, a powerful expression of the mind and heart of Jesus Christ and the great galaxies that, that, that are scattered across the vast spaces of universe, they are being kept in their place by the powerful word of Jesus Christ. That's either nonsense or it's glorious. He's the powerful sustainer that qualifies him to be the complete expression of the nature of the Father. And, and he's also, finally, the purifying substitute. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins. I, I, I suppose you all believe this, that there, there is... No doubt that the cosmos around us is both beautiful and disordered. The cosmos is both 
magnificent and distressing. People are killed because of a row over car parking outside their house. Children perish in a burning coach, taking them on an outing. Cancer and COVID stalk the corridors of human existence. I've got a friend who was killed by a rabbit. When we went to Tynemouth in 1979, he was 18 years of age. He was a giant of a man. He was six feet nine and 200 pounds in weight. You had to stand on a chair to talk to him. Paul, Paul Craig. When he got to be in his late 50s, a year or two back, he had all his dreams had been fulfilled. He had a lovely wife. They'd bought an idyllic cottage in the Northumbrian countryside. And best of all, he bought a brand new Triumph motorbike. And then as he, as he flashed through the Northumbrian countryside, a rabbit ran out in front of him. He swerved to avoid it. He came off his bike, ended up a paraplegic in a hospital in Newcastle. A couple of weeks ago, got sepsis. And on Thursday, died because of a rabbit in the idyllic Northumberland countryside. The cosmos, the cosmos is both magnificent and distressing. The, uh, the Bible teaches us that this disorder, this dysfunction, this pain, this anguish, that comes with it is the result of human rebellion against our creator the ruptured relationship with our creator is reflected in the disorder in the cosmos around us but the creator the radiance of God's glory the beautiful representation of God's nature allowed himself to be extinguished and rendered ugly in the death of the cross the radiance was plunged in darkness. The image of God was disfigured. The sustainer of the universe was butchered and placed in a cold, dark tomb. But he burst forth in glorious day. He defeated death. He purchased forgiveness of sin. He restored men to God and God to men. He's, he's returned to heaven in order to rule over all things until he comes again to put it all right. And there'll be no more pain and no more suffering and no more sleepless nights and all will be well in all of God's holy mountain. And these are the reasons that qualify Jesus, the word of God, as the full and complete revelation of the Father. He's the revealer of truth He's the perfect expression of God's nature. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's why we love him. And that's why we trust him. And that's why we enjoy him. And that's why we recommend him to you and to all who will listen.